We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herter. Today, I want to talk about how the Bible says we should respond to a lawless culture. Have you noticed it's getting pretty nasty out there these days? What has happened to our world? I mean, even five, ten years ago, the level of hostility, the increased animosity, the quarreling, the ugly bickering. Sure, we've always had it. Yeah, we've always had it. We've always had political opponents bickering at each other. But nowadays, everyone has a voice because everyone can either make a comment, post their thoughts, make their opinions known to the public. It used to be you could only bug the people around you, like... You know, you could bug your family members, your friends, and you had to do it live and in person. So, in effect, it muted everyone and muted the opinions in the world. But now with the internet, all you need is a smartphone and an opinion. And your opinion can be posted, made public, and responded to Ad infinitum. So our world descending into chaos. The culture war heating up. Identity politics pitting victim versus privileged. All these imaginary constructs that we like to make so that we can draw lines divide each other, and then hurl insults at the other side. Why are there so many accusations of sexism and racism and homophobia, toxic masculinity, all of these insults and accusations going back and forth What is going on in our world? We need to silence hate speech, right? We need to identify any kind of speech that might be offensive and label it as hate speech and then silence it. That's what we need to do. That's what America's about, silencing hate speech. Or is it more like silencing hated speech? Speech that we hate. We hate what you say, so we're going to silence you. We're going to cancel you. What is going on in our world? Why are we descending into this madness? The Apostle Paul wrote to his beloved co-worker, Timothy, about the last days, about the end times. And he told him perilous times, dangerous times would come. He warned him about a day like we are living in now. And we've only begun to really go down the tubes culturally. Paul gives a warning to Timothy. He tells tells him to take heed, to be aware, to know for a fact 
to understand a time would come when the culture of the world would descend into lawlessness. This is the second letter to Timothy, and this is actually Paul's final letter that he wrote. He wrote the letter while he was awaiting trial in a prison in Rome, a trial that he, Paul, would, knew would likely end in his execution, and in fact did end in Paul's execution, the hands of Nero. So Paul's final letter, his last letter to Timothy, is a farewell address of sorts. He tells Timothy he has run the race, he's finished his course, that he would receive a crown of righteousness that the Lord had laid up for him. But not just for Paul, Paul says. He's not just thinking about himself. He's thinking about the church. He says, that crown that I will receive is laid up for all who love his appearing. Who's appearing? For all who long for, await, and love the appearing of Jesus Christ. What appearing are you talking about, Paul? Are you talking about his first coming? We loved his first coming. Yes, that's the appearing you must be talking about. No, that's not the appearing, the parousia that Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about those who await and long and love the appearing of Jesus Christ at the end of time. Not everybody loves that appearing. Who loves that appearing of Jesus when Jesus comes and wraps up human history and it's game over? All the human empires come to an end and are forgotten. When the justice and judgment of God comes in its divine fullness. You see, uh, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. They date the letter about 67, I believe. They, Paul was executed in 68 AD. This was his final letter. He's writing about the appearing of Jesus. But if you remember, we began this season with Paul's first letter. His first letter was the letter to the Thessalonian church. And that letter is dated 52 AD. So some 15 years before Paul's last letter was Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. So in 52 AD, what was Paul writing to the Thessalonians about? He was writing to them so that they would understand, among other things, the end times, so that they would be clear about what would happen in the generation that the Lord returned. This was very important to Paul. And why did Paul want them to know about the end times? Was it because Paul wanted them to be scared? Was it because Paul wanted them to be entertained? Did Paul want to be controversial? No, Paul wanted to supply their faith. Paul wanted the Thessalonians' faith to be full according to the truth. The scripture is truth. Bible prophecy is truth. Our faith must align with the truth of Scripture. So if we want the, Paul, the, the faith that Paul is teaching and forming in the Thessalonians, if we want the faith that Paul is handing off to Timothy in his final farewell letter, 
we need to align with what the Bible teaches about the end times. Not optional. Critical. The end times, understanding Bible prophecy, when you ask Jesus, when you ask Paul, they would tell you this is not optional truth. This is not truth that you pull out, debate, argue about, not really care about at the end of the day, put away, pretend like life goes on. These are truths that form our faith, our worldview, how we do life, what we expect, how we hold our hearts, how we teach our children, and what we emphasize when we come in to teach the Word of God to others. In Paul's first letter, 52 AD, 1 Thessalonians, Paul is telling them about the labor pains that would come. In his second letter, the Thessalonians, his second, his second letter that he, that he wrote, he tells the Thessalonians about the great falling away, the great apostasy. He tells them about the abomination of desolation, about the man of lawlessness. Paul tells the Thessalonians that they had turned from idols and they had turned to the living God and were awaiting the appearing of the Son of God. That's how Paul understood faith, scripture, life. That our lives are to be understood in terms of the return of Jesus Christ. That was his first letter. You'd think, well, you know, he had 15 years to cool off of the whole end times thing, right? Surely, Paul, 15 years. Okay, right, you, 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 were, you were excited about Jesus. You were excited about his return at the beginning of your ministry, but... You know, you had time to rethink your priorities. Paul, you had time to experience leadership in the church and establishing churches. You had time to understand, you know, what these kinds of teachings would do to people and how they would live. Surely, Paul, you understood that you overdid the end time teachings in your early letters. Surely you would back off on your final letter, your farewell letter. Paul says, nope, actually, I've got more information for you. That I know this is my last letter. I know this is my farewell address. And I want you to know my affection that I have for you. I want you to know my concerns. But I also want you to know about the end times. I want you to understand what is coming so that you are ready for it. That's Paul's heart. His final letter finishes what began in his first letters. Paul is still teaching about the days when Jesus would return. So let's get into Paul's second letter to Timothy. Before we do, let's pray. Lord, we ask you, Jesus, to open your word to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the fullness of your truth. God, you are truth. You are life. And we receive the truth in life only so much as you impart it to us by your spirit and through your word. So we're asking for grace and mercy. 
We're asking for the nearness of your spirit. And we're asking for ears that hear and eyes that see. Open your word to us. Bless everyone who's listening. Everyone who is inclining their ear to your word and seeking the Lord to know you, Jesus, above all, to live fully devoted vessels of honor fit for the master's use. We ask you in the name of Jesus. Okay, open up your Bibles. Because to understand the bigger picture, we need to understand the portrait that Paul is painting here. It's not enough just to give you the list. A lot of times people would just want to jump into the list. And, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and, and read from the passage that we're going to be looking at today. But then I'm going to give you the greater context of this passage so that we can understand and connect the dots that not only run through this letter in 2 Timothy, but run through the letters of Paul, run specifically through the second letter to the Thessalonians chapter 2 about the man of lawlessness, because this is the culture of lawlessness that arises when the restrainer lifts his hands and lawlessness is unleashed. This is what it looks like. So this passage ties very closely like a dovetail into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But it reaches far beyond the letters of Paul. It reaches into the gospel, the New Testament, the New Testament letters, the book of Revelation. It reaches into the Old Testament, the prophecies of Daniel. So what we read here in this list goes far beyond just the passage here. It connects and lights up and lines up with the rest of scripture. So our passage is going to be out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read it. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions." always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was that of these two men. A lot of folks just want to zero in on the list right there. And it, that, it's quite a list. That is quite a list. That is... Uh, it, it seems like Paul took some time and really thought about that list because that is a very comprehensive list. And I'm going to get into the list a little bit I'll spend a little bit of time in the list, but what I want to spend most of my time on is the larger picture, the larger scenario that Paul is painting here. Paul gets into the details of what a lawless culture looks like, but he also gives a larger context in which to understand what is happening to give rise to a lawless culture. 
to understand what's going on here, we have to back up just a little bit in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul describes a greater reality that is happening. In verse 20, Paul says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So Paul tells of a great house, and he tells about vessels that are in this house. Some vessels are used for honorable things, and some vessels are used for dishonorable things. This is the greater scenario. This is the larger picture. Paul tells us, look, guys, we're in this house. What's the house, Paul? The house is God's creation. Who's the master of the house? Well, the master of the house is God. And this creation is God's house. Who made the vessels? Well, the master of the house made the vessels. What are the vessels? The vessels are human beings. Human beings created by God. Some are made for honorable use. And some are made for dishonorable use. We say, that sounds very Calvinistic for my taste. You know, well, I can tell you, I'm definitely, you know, you're gonna, if you're going to, you know, paint me with a broad stripe, you know, you're probably going to have to put me in the Reformed side of theology. For sure. No question. Glad to, glad to stand with that theology. Um, where do I fit in that spectrum is another question. You know, I'm sure you're going to find plenty of guys, plenty of brothers and sisters that are far more reformed and Calvinistic than I am. Because then what does Paul say about the vessels that are used for honorable use and, and for dishonorable use? He says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. So for all the Arminians out there, Paul says, look, no one is stuck. No one is stuck either being an honorable vessel or a dishonorable vessel. If any vessel cleanses itself from the dishonorable, it will be set apart as a an honorable vessel. I don't want to get into um, the details of Calvinism versus Arminianism here. Uh, that debate has been held many times by many folks, far smarter, far more informed about those specifics than I am. So I welcome you to go find you know that uh, dispute somewhere else. I'm not having that dispute now. What I'm doing is I'm focusing on the bigger picture that Paul is painting in his letter to Timothy. He's like, look, Timothy, we're in creation. There are these vessels, human beings. Some human beings are for honorable use. Some are for dishonorable use. Now, no one is stuck being dishonorable. If they cleanse themselves from dis being dishonorable, then they will be fit for the master's use and will be used for honorable things. That is the picture. So Paul creates these two broader categories, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Now, these two broad categories actually fit nicely to the end of the passage that we're looking at. Because we have an example of vessels of honor 
versus vessels of dishonor. You find that in chapter 3, verse 8. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses. Jonas and Jambres, kind of weird names. But these are the two magicians that stood before Pharaoh and opposed Moses and Aaron. So if you remember back either to the book of Exodus itself or to the classic Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston as Moses and Yule Brenner as Pharaoh. If you remember back to that movie, the magicians that stood before Pharaoh opposing Moses, Paul gives us a picture. He says, hey, you want a picture of vessels of honor versus vessels of dishonor? Here you go. Imagine Moses and Aaron, vessels of honor, fit for the master's use, and Jonas and Jambres, the magicians of Pharaoh's court, vessels of dishonor. That is the picture that Paul is painting in the end times. Moses and Aaron sent by God, called by God, filled by God, empowered by God, overflowing with God, doing God's work in the earth. Vessels of honor. Jonas and Jambres, fraudsters, magicians, sleight of hand guys, fakes, Ministers of the abyss. That's what we need to understand, I think, fundamentally. And I'll show this more as we go along. The vessel of honor versus the vessel of dishonor is the difference between the overflow of heaven versus the vacuum of the abyss. It's the difference between bright, shining, unending light versus a black hole from which no light can escape. These are opposite realities. This is vessel of honor versus vessel of dishonor. And this is the picture that Paul paints not just here, but is also the portrait that Paul paints in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when he tells of the man of lawlessness who will arise and deceive many by the activity of Satan with false signs and wonders, just like Jonas and Jambres. And who does he oppose? We know Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses and Aaron, but who does this man of lawlessness oppose with his magic tricks? He opposes the Lord God Almighty. Same scenario. Same reality. So if we understand that the bigger picture is one of God's creation Mankind created as God's vessels, some vessels fit for honorable use and some vessels fit for dishonorable, we'll begin to understand what is happening with the rise of a lawless culture. Because the rise of a lawless culture is not about honorable vessels, it's about the proliferation of dishonorable vessels. Dishonorable vessels taking over the world. The restraining hand of God being lifted. Lawlessness being unleashed. And a lawless culture arising. We know what a vessel of honor looks like. We know it's 
the fruit of the Spirit. We know what the positive side, the true side, the side of light and love. We know vessels of honor like Moses and Aaron are lovers of God. They love people. They love good. They are humble and kind. They're obedient to God, to God's authority. They are holy. They're set apart for the master's use. They're content and self-controlled. We know all this because Paul paints the picture of what it looks like for a life to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. But we're not talking about a culture of honor. We're talking about, and this is what Paul warns about, a culture of lawlessness. When vessels of dishonor take over the culture, what does it look like when Janus and Jambres take over the culture? Paul says it's going to be perilous. It's going to be dangerous. You need to understand that these are the times that will rise in the last days. We need to take Paul seriously. We need to understand what he's saying so that we can navigate these times by the grace and the spirit of God, powered by the word of God and the leadership of Jesus Christ in our lives. So let's take a closer look at the list. Like I said, I'm not going to I'm not going to dive too deep because literally the list is too long to spend too much time on each of these points. So I'm going to hit a couple of the main ones and call it good. Try to sum it up so that we don't get bogged down into the details. So Paul tells Timothy verse 1, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty or perilous times. For people will be lovers of self. I'm just going to kind of pop in and out of reading the scripture and then giving commentary. So the first thing he lists is people will be lovers of self. And really, if you think about it, this is the foundational reality of lawlessness. When everyone is out for themselves... It is the antithesis of God's love. And it is the summary statement of what Satan is all about. He's about himself and he's about getting you to be all about yourself. That is what the devil is trying to do because he knows if he can get you pursuing the love of yourself, you will join in his rebellion against God. That is the common unifying theme in this final rebellion, this final apostasy, leaving the creator, pursuing the love of self. What do you mean, the love of yourself? Well, what are the primary lies and deceptions of the enemy? The pursuit of transcendence, the pursuit of eternal life without God, the pursuit of superhuman cognition. Why? So that you can live forever, so that you can be as smart as a God. It's all about you. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and Satan was tempting Eve with the fruit, it was all about Eve. That was the crux of the temptation. Eve, don't you want to be as smart as God? You're not going to die. You don't have to listen to God. You do you. Really, if you want to sum up the deception of Satan, it's you do you forsake every other thing. 
the more you do you and the more you do less of anyone else, especially your creator, Satan says, the more you do me. Human beings united in purpose, in lawlessness, lovers of self. That's one right off the bat, kind of sums up the whole situation. Then Paul says, they're going to be lovers of money. Well, that kind, of, that kind of fits right into the lovers of self. If you're just pursuing your own thing, then you're probably going to want to get rich. You probably want to get paid, just like the error of Balaam. You got to chase those dollars. You got to get your money. This money is self, just a means to self to get what you want for you to do you and not to do anyone else. Paul says people will be proud and arrogant. There'll be an air of superiority. They will think they are better educated, that they know better than you. They stand on their pedestals and they look down upon the fools who aren't on that pedestal with them. They're so much better. They're so much smarter. That's why they're so rich. That's why things are working out so well for them. It's because at the end of the day, they're just superior. They're better. Better than you. Better than everybody else. Paul says they're abusive, disobedient to parents. They cast off the authority of God. Any form, they despise authority. Every and every, any kind of authority. Any and every kind of authority they despise. Police military, and it breaks down even to the micro-authority of their lives that God has given them. Good authority. Their mom and their dad, who just want the best for them, they despise it. Why do they despise it? Because they hate God's authority. They want to break the bonds of God. They want to cast God's authority away. They want lawlessness. That's why they hate their parents. That's why they hate their parents' authority. It's nothing to do with you, mom and dad. No, their hatred goes beyond you. It goes straight to the authority of God. It says they are ungrateful. Ungrateful. Why are they ungrateful? Because they believe they're entitled because when you do you and it's all about you, then people owe you. This world owes you. And if this world doesn't pay up what it owes, then that's unacceptable. So that even when they do receive good things from God and from others, they don't see it as a blessing. They don't see it as grace. No. That was theirs. That was theirs to have. They're not thankful for what they get because that was theirs. This world is theirs. Ungrateful. Paul says they'll be unholy. Unholy, well, if you're holy, that means you're set apart for the master's use. So if you're unholy, you're set apart for dishonorable use. That means you're one with this world. That you're all about the world. You're anti-God. You're pro-world. You're unholy. And that ties to the unholy one, the lawless one. Because if you're unholy, if you're set apart not for God, not for heaven, not for eternity, that means you are set apart for this world and for destruction. And that is actually one of the titles of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is that he is a son of destruction, perdition, doom. 
When you are unholy, you are set apart for doom, destruction. Your end will be exposed as folly. Paul says they'll be heartless. Heartless without a heart. That speaks to ministering from a deficit. So here's the thing. <clears throat> all the adjectives that Paul's using here to describe this culture of lawlessness, all the words that describe what's happening, what the people are like as lawlessness is being unleashed, these are all negative words. They're not the positive version. They're the negative. So when you look at the Greek word, there's the Greek root of the word, and then there's a alpha or an, an A before each word. The A is the negative or negates the word. So the word holy, when you put the A in front of it, front of it in the Greek is unholy, unthankful, disobedient. These are all negatives, heartless, without a heart, without holiness, without thankfulness. These folks that are pursuing lawlessness without restraint are ministering, are living out of a deficit. They are, the core of their being is a vacuum. It's not the positive, it's the negative. It's not the fullness, it's the emptiness. Revelation chapter 9 tells about the abyss, a black hole that is opened up. And from this black hole arises these nasty locusts and demonic locusts. Not getting into that right now. My point is that the abyss is opened and there's a king of the abyss. His name is Abaddon. So those who operate from a black hole, from those who operate not from the fullness of heaven, but from the vacuum of hell, not from the fullness of light, but from the vacuousness of a black hole, they're following and they're under the leadership of a king. They're under the leadership of the king of the abyss. Who is this king of the abyss? His name is Abaddon. He is the destroyer bringing those under his oppression into eternal slavery and destruction. That is the king of the lawless culture, Abaddon. Or in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. Apollyon, the one who rises from the abyss. This culture of lawlessness, this culture arising, pursuing, lusting for the lawlessness of darkness, the emptiness of a black hole from which no light can escape. Paul says that those who live in this culture who are part of this culture, will be unappeasable. Unappeasable. There will be, again, the negative. If you were appeasable, that would mean you could be appeased. If you are the negative, if you're operating from the deficit, that means you're unappeasable. There is nothing that can be done to appease you. Why is it unappeasable? Why is there no satisfaction for those who are part of this culture. Why is no amount of bowing and capitulating and compromising ever enough? 
Why are no amount of reparations, no amount of paying or money ever enough? Why? Why why can't they be appeased? Because they're operating from a black hole, an abyss that can never be satisfied. There's no way to fill a black hole. No amount of compromise and capitulation will ever fill a black hole. It just sucks deeper and deeper and deeper. There is no end to a black hole. The abyss is never satisfied. Just going on real quick, like I said, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on each of these details says they're slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It says they're always learning, never able to come to the truth. These vessels of dishonor, operating from the abyss, whose king is Apollyon, the destroyer, the one who rises from the abyss. These vessels of a black hole that can never be satisfied. What are we supposed to do as Christians? How are we supposed to live and operate and overcome? Paul actually gives us the way forward. Paul actually gives us the insight to overcome in these days. If you look around, you see, you know, cultural warriors going at it. You might think the solution to this rising tide of lawlessness is to match their hatred. We should hate those who hate us. We should ridicule them. We should be outraged. Maybe even we should consider violence. No. No, Paul never says any of those things. He never says, you know, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. If you're not blah, 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 getting sucked into the quarrels and the bickering, if you're not winning those arguments, then you're not a Christian. He never says any of those things. Paul gives us the way forward. How can we be vessels of honor in a culture of dishonor? and lawlessness. To understand what we need to do to overcome in this culture, we need to back up just a little bit. Paul tells us, he tells Timothy in chapter 2, verse 22, so flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's the way forward. That's how we overcome. Paul tells us plainly, do not get caught up in the quarrels. Do not get caught up in the controversies. He says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue the fruit of the Spirit. Find companionship and unity with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. There is a fellowship to be found in the saints for all who call upon the name of Jesus. 
and seek the Lord with a pure heart. Now, that fellowship can be found across denomination. We don't have to agree on everything. There are some core things that we do need to agree on. There are some absolutes, some absolute orthodox truths that cannot, that cannot be compromised. So hear me. We cannot compromise core truths, foundational truths of the faith. But that doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. But there is a fellowship that can be found with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Paul says that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Don't get dragged into these quarrels. Don't get dragged into the whatever the internet's talking about today. It doesn't even matter. From one thing to the next. Don't get dragged into that. It says the Lord's servant will be kind to everyone. 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 Kind to everyone. Moses and Aaron were kind to Jonas and Jabris. Yeah, sure, they had a, you know, confrontation. Just because you're confronting someone doesn't mean you're not kind. You can confront and be kind. Yes, you can. Jesus did it. We can do it too. Paul did it. You can be very strong on the truth and be very kind at the same time. Yes, you can. You don't have to descend into the lawless culture that is beckoning you into the abyss. You can overflow in the light of heaven, the overflow of God's love. Yes, you can. Paul says you need to be able to teach. We need to understand the scripture. We need to help other people understand scripture. Able to teach. You know what you understand. You know what you understand, what the Lord's shown you in scripture. You need to be able to show that to others. He says, patiently enduring evil. That's probably the toughest one right there, isn't it? Patiently enduring evil. There's going to be a lot of evil stuff going on. A lot of evil stuff is going to be happening to us, around us. We have to endure. Not get caught up in it. Not participate in it. Not get drawn into it. It says we need to correct our opponents. Like I said, you can make very strong stands when it comes to the truth. Paul says, correct your opponents. Correct your opponents. Just like Moses and Aaron corrected Jonas and Jambres. Correct them. But it says, correct them with gentleness, with humility, with lowliness. We can't come at them in the same spirit that they're coming at us. We have, to, we have to operate from an overflow. They are operating from the deficit. They are operating from the abyss. They are the ones that cannot be appeased. We're not operating in that spirit. We're operating from a spirit that flows everlasting. Truth, light, and love. We overflow to our enemies in kindness. They can never draw the life of God away from us. It is ever springing up with newness of life. They are the ones operating from the abyss. They are the ones existing, pursuing a black hole that is never satisfied. And why should we Show kindness and gentleness. Why should we teach anybody about the truth of God? Why should we stand uncompromising, unflinching? And I want to make sure that we're clear about this. Because no amount of compromise, no amount of capitulation will ever be enough to appease this lawless culture. So you might be tempted to bow down. 
you might be tempted to play along with the cultural narrative so that you'll be acceptable to them. Rest assured, you will never be acceptable. Rest assured, they will never be appeased. So you're going to have to take a stand sometimes. It might as well be now. Take the stand now. Correct your opponents in kindness. I want to make sure that we don't go all Mr. Rogers on this and compromise. There is no call to compromise. Compromise wouldn't do you any good because this lawless culture is unappeasable. They cannot be appeased. They cannot be satisfied. Why should we take all this effort, Paul, to be kind? Why should we overflow from this fullness that we enjoy in God? Why, why should we do all this? Why? Because maybe God will grant them repentance. Maybe, just maybe, God will snatch them from the fire. Maybe God will give them repentance, grant them repentance and lead them to the knowledge of the truth. Maybe they will find repentance. Maybe they will finally arrive at the truth. Finally, they will be delivered from the state where they were always learning, never able to arrive at the truth. Maybe God will give them repentance. And they will finally arrive at the truth. They will come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, the king of the abyss, Abaddon, Apollyon, the one of darkness, the king of the black hole. Maybe they will come to their senses. Maybe they will see light. Maybe they will look at your life and see the overflow that you're overflowing towards them with. And they'll tire and get sick of the abyss from which they are living. And they will want to join you in the light. They will want to join you in the overflow of the kindness of God. Because they've been captured to do his will. Apollyon has captured them. They are in his grip. They are in the abyss. They are in an unending hole of darkness. What if they came out? What if our lives that was overflowing in the gentleness and kindness of God was enough that God would use it and grant them repentance? that they would come out of the prison, that they would escape the snare of Apollyon. Well, that's my prayer, that we would live in that kind of overcoming faith and love, obedient to the scriptures. Going to kind of leave it there for today. I hope you're blessed by what I'm doing here. I really hope you're blessed by what I'm doing Um, I'm seeking the Lord that he would have his way in my life and and through the ministry. Uh, I'm just asking you that if this podcast is a blessing to you, that you would pass it along, that you would pass along. I know I say some crazy things here and there or whatever. Bear with me. I'm doing what I can to make it better. But I believe the calling of God is on me. And I'm operating by his grace, seeking his will to do this thing. But when I hear from you that you're blessed by this, when you hear that, when I hear that you're listening and are encouraged to go deeper in Jesus, it's like fuel for me. So, uh, and then I, I believe that if you pass it on, other people will be blessed as well, other saints. So please, uh, if you're like, oh man, wow, thank you, thank you. Do me this favor. Pass it on. You got social media, however you want to do it, just pass it on. Just want to get the word of God out. Want to want to declare the name of Jesus in, in every part of the world. Um, and just be reminding the saints to be watching, to 
be praying and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.